0: Hi, Amy. Hello. How's it Hi. going?
1: Good. I'm gonna grab my earphone so I sound better, not perfect. Okay.
0: Where are you? So lush in the background. I
1: know. So ironically, so that's this is I'm in my the front part of my house, and that's the street. I'm in Venice Beach. I know it looks that's like Venice. Prophix. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dang. Nice. It's funny. It does look like I'm in Hawaii right now. It does. I oh, you know what? Now. I see the street now, now that I
1: look. Yeah, up. now I can see the car too. But yeah. a man crawled over my fence two weeks ago and lurked around my property for 10 minutes at 7.40 in the morning while I was here with the door open. And now I don't look at any of it quite the same way. So now I'm actually like, you know, you never know. I, we're, we've taken a lot of security precautions, but you can imagine it's a little unsettling. Yeah.
0: Are you guys yeah, my- having issues over there too with more? Yeah. Cars? Yeah. A lot of cars getting stolen packages, people casing homes, checking out the doors. Yeah. It sucks. People are in a desperate position right now. They really are. And you know what? You can't live in fear
1: and I'm, yeah. I'm not, you know, it's funny because growing up, my mom was obsessed with that book, The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker, And I remember it just drove me crazy because I'm pretty intuitive and I'm very tapped into it. And I think that's really the main message of that book. But <laughs> for people that are naturally fearful, it <laughs> encourages them to essentially lean into that. So I think it's a really, like a conversation around fear is probably more important than ever right now because people are afraid of taking their masks off. They're afraid of shaking someone's hands. They're afraid that a burglar could jump over the fence, which of these things is real and which is just you know kind of conditioned or whatever else i don't know it's a longer conversation but i'm it's very present for me right now
0: especially with the mask thing you know i really notice how the government has been pushing mask pushing fear instead of encouraging health what else can you do to keep sanity in your mind what vitamins and supplements can you take so you're nourished can you exercise to boost your serotonin how come that's not pushed why is it just fear i know I, I think it
1: comes from a liability a place of liability concerns more times than not you know all these whether it's educational institutions or whether it's the government et cetera. everybody is just trying to make sure that they don't not say that this could be a problem because of the implications of that you know but i'm with you I mean, I I live and breathe health-related everything. So I'm all for let's be super proactive about talking about what the solutions are. And, you know, it's great running a PR agency in the health and wellness space right now. People actually care about their health for the first time. So that's one of, of the positives that came from this pandemic.
0: Mm. have you always been in the health and wellness space
1: personally on many levels but no I mean really the the business evolved from being focused on female athletes and women's sports to more broadly healthy active living about 12 years ago because it more closely mirrored my personal interests and so we're fortunate one thing sort of led to another we're suddenly working with all these brands that are doing really innovative important work and then that led us to working with a bunch of doctors and experts and launching their books i'm doing a conversation on clubhouse about women choosing or not choosing to have kids in their 40s and beyond and we're doing and it's just funny more than anything i'll have a fertility expert one of my friends actually is in her mid-40s decided she didn't want to have a kid i'm in my mid-40s still want to have a kid and we have all different perspectives on it.
0: How have you found Clubhouse? You know, What's it's so take? funny.
1: I really love it because I think we can have all these important conversations there that maybe have been shut down for the past year. I mean, there's basic stuff, which is I am a, an extrovert by nature. And I, have, I travel all the time. I'm at events, you know, live in the good life. And then now for the last year, I've had to really come to terms with the ultimate concept of surrender, as we all have, but also I've kind of disconnected it and unplugged from a lot of that. Again, not by choice. In some respects, that's been a great thing because I think we all need more space. I'm really, really, really clear about the fact that I needed more space and I needed to not be planning and booking every single moment and not feel like everything needs to be kind of jammed in all the time. But at the same time, I missed a lot of that kind of energizing connectivity and those moments of serendipity. And I'm finding that that kind of stuff is possible through Clubhouse, which totally caught me by surprise because when I first went on, I was having such a hard time literally finding my voice. I do a bunch of public speaking and I get on Clubhouse and suddenly I have this weird insecurity and paranoia that I have not experienced since I was probably in high school, it was very strange. Um, but now I've pulled it together, thankfully. I just started my own conversations and started talking about stuff that I felt was important. And my stuff is really all about how do we help people in various ways, like super practical ways. How do we help someone get their book project moving? I do this Books 101 room, which I just love. It's my favorite of the week. I'm doing a nonprofit showcase tonight where we're featuring six different nonprofits and the work they're doing, the specific things that they need help with, and going to hope to match them with some audience members that can actually help. So that stuff gets me fired up because I feel like this is a place where we can do that stuff. And right now it's small enough that there's still an intimacy and an ability to basically connect real humans to each other for the greater good. So that's my point of view. What about you? What do you think?
0: That's really nice to hear. My experience has been quite different, but perhaps that's because I haven't found the right rooms to go in because what I've experienced thus far is a lot of people on their soapbox Mm. and just talking about themselves. Mm. And I'm not going for that. I'm going for information, I'm going for keys. What do you have that I can learn and inspire me, uplift me, what you got?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I totally hear you on that. And it is all about finding the right rooms because I've experienced that too. And there were definitely some moments in the beginning where I was like, whoa, it's like Bitcoin central and millions to billions and all these growth marketers. And none of those are things that A, I, to be totally honest, care about or B, have anything to contribute and C, I don't feel inspired by it. And I don't feel like it's, I'm growing as a result of sitting in those rooms. And now there are a lot of rooms where people are talking just about Clubhouse, which I find equally boring, to be honest with you, unless it's really more tactical about like, how do we make X, Y, and Z happen in a productive way? So I know what you mean, but I do think it's about finding the right rooms. It's about finding people that you connect with. And I have literally, I feel so clear that the people that I've connected with on Clubhouse, I was meant to connect with and Clubhouse was just the vehicle for doing that. So that part of it really inspires me. There are a number Mm -hmm. of people where I feel like, of course I needed to know this person and I can see they're going to be in my life. It's not like real friends and and colleagues and things that were important. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, I'm going to, I'm happy to have a further conversation about this so we we can improve your clubhouse experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. I need to follow the right people and be connected in that way. I haven't given that, that much time or energy, so I would love that. Thank you. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, for sure. I want to learn more about your work, too. Tell me. Oh, uh, well, I started out as a set designer in the fashion industry and entertainment world, and then I moved over to art direction. And so now I do art direction for musicians and films and for actors and actresses and fashion brands. For some people, I do content strategy, so how they are kind of like PR, but more for their social media and online perception of their voice. Mm. And I kind of do a little bit of everything, depending on who the client is, what they're hiring me for. I think that's so cool that it would evolve from set
1: direction to content strategy and how I can see how there are connections between those two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I
0: I love it so much better too, because I'm not on set for 16 hours a day. And that was really hard on me. That lifestyle is not, uh, what do you call it? Sustainable. Yeah. Now I can work from home. I can show up when they need me. So it's a lot more balanced and it really is ideas. How can you bring the ideas to the table that serve whatever project it is? And that's always been my dream. When I first started, I just wanted enough money to make my art, but Now it's turned into really the artist's dream. So I'm so grateful. It's been a long time in the works, you know, uh, of cultivating that and finding that niche for myself. But it's funny, I think with life and with entrepreneurs and with people who live off the trail and create more their own path, it's really about intuition, as you know, and being open to how things will shift, and then you shift, and then you bring you bring your gift. I love that you say that.
1: I just did a speaking engagement for a bunch of teenage young women over the weekend, and the, the theme of this panel was around how life is a jungle gym. So a jungle gym versus a ladder, where it's just one straight climb up. And the jungle gym, I think, is a great analogy because there's ups and downs and there's danger and risk and moments where you feel totally un- in control and other moments where you really don't. And, and that is the path. And, and the other thing, as you mentioned, the intuition piece plays into the jungle gym, because you have to really feel things out and sense where you're supposed to go next. And, I just I think it's such a cool way of thinking about things because my journey certainly was not a linear one and most of my best decisions were not things I could have ever even imagined. And it's such a good reminder because I think so often we we have this thing in our mind which is good because it's good to have goals and it's good to have a vision and vision boards and all those things but also to create space for the fact that the end might be so much more magical than you could have even conceptualized and you need to create space for that. You need to actually allow for these things to unfold and evolve and stuff to come in and it that's the stuff that really excites me. So when it comes to career paths, I think it's so it's always surprising to me honestly when people have had a more linear path because it's so foreign to me. <laughs> you know, I've always I've always been, I mean, granted, I've been running this business for the last 14 years, but I think one of the reasons that is, is I actually feel it evolves every month. There are things, there's so much fluidity to it, whether that's changing clients or changing employees or changing marketing and PR landscape or all of the above and figuring out how to move through that with grace. That's the magic, you know, how do we how do we kind of ride through it and then ride the good parts and and move those things forward and and not get too hung up with the challenging parts, which again, I mean this is very top of mind right now, but cleaning up your mental mess by dr. Caroline Leaf is a it's really a cool book because she talks about this neurocycling, this process we can put in place where we deal with the daily challenges or any number of things, like anything that throws us off or whatever, where you normally get hung up on, we can now have a toolkit to just move through them and actually sort stuff out so it doesn't remain a thorn, which is, I mean, it's a blessing because that's even possible. I think so many of us feel like we have to just live with the challenging stuff. And there's always going to be challenging stuff, but we're doing a lot of it to ourselves.
0: Beep, beep. Hi, friends. Have you heard of breathe? Brave is a fast privacy-preserving browser that feels like Google Chrome, but without the ads and the various kinds of tracking that ads come with. I was using Chrome before for its minimal and uncluttered interface, but Brave has made it so easy to import bookmarks and extensions over that with its extra privacy feature, I'm a newfound fan. The Brave browser is free and available on all platforms and is actively used by more than 20 million people around the world. Speed-wise, it feels more responsive and also feels private and secure. Try it out at brave.com. If you enjoy these episodes and you find that it adds value to your life, please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon. www.patreon.com slash higher states. Connect with me on Instagram at higher states with two S's at the end. Why two S's at the end, you ask? Well, Someone out there is keeping the one with one S hostage and has not responded to my DMs. So if you're out there, please let me have it. Last time I checked, it didn't even seem like you use it. Okay, okay, I digress. Now, back to our show. Yeah, yeah, I think to realize the first step is that it's a choice. That's a big one of, wait, no, I can take this thought, I can take this thought that is holding me down and place it over here. I'm not going to listen to it Yes, (laughs) and I'm going to go this way. It is so true.
1: And I think that broader conversation around choice is such a powerful one because I listen to people, sometimes it's overt, sometimes not so much, but complaining or dissatisfied of the rest of it. And whenever I get into that mode myself, I have an immediate checkpoint, which is, whoa, I chose this. You know, if I wake up feeling aggravated about my business, which happens, I can remind myself I'm choosing to run this business. I could go get some big job somewhere if I wanted, or I could become a full-time writer. I honestly don't know how that would work, but I have choices, you know, but I'm choosing this. And sometimes just that change, that shift in the approach actually really reframes the the feeling around it too. You know, we actually then suddenly remain we're back in control. We're back in the driver's seat. We're back in a place where we don't feel like someone's doing something to us. Even in relationships, you know, we're choosing to be in those relationships. Yes, we have certain folks that are a part of the equation, our family, right? But beyond that, we're making active choices to continue to engage with people, clients, friends, lovers, whatever. It's all a choice. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's such a powerful conversation.
0: For sure. Did you always have this type of point of view? You mentioned you've always been intuitive and you lived without fear from when you were younger. Well,
1: I think it's cultivated. I've been cultivating it over the years. And you asked about my book. I think that's a great example of how research is me-search. <laughs> you know, and we, yeah. we basically invest time and energy in the things where we can, we feel we need help, honestly. So shall I talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Maybe? Okay. Cause it's a really good example. I mean, it's certainly helped me develop some of these specific skills and an overall framework, I would say. So I started my career in New York. I worked in advertising and big ad agencies. So it was kind of, well, certainly my first experience with hardcore corporate life dealing with Fortune 100 clients and then this sort of hierarchy and bureaucracy of a big global ad agency. And I loved it, honestly. I felt like completely fired up about waking up every morning. And I was living that classic New York New York life where you wake up early, you go for a run in Central Park, you grind it out all day and night at the office, and then you still go out at night for fun you know it was like at the best of all worlds i don't know how i ever had that amount of energy but i did and i realized you know there were these these parts of that particular experience my early new york days that were so formative for me in terms of my how i shoo, showed up as a professional cuz that was the first time i was showing up as a professional and i ultimately through various experiences and various bosses and various acla- accounts and different agencies I would describe it as I developed this armor, this kind of tough, direct, assertive work persona. And that's a good thing by the way in many ways, but um what I realized probably 6 years ago at this point I started thinking about it was almost like I was struck by lightning. I was I was thinking about this converse this idea of femininity and what it meant. I mean, there are all these conversations going on around feminism and female empowerment and equal rights and equal opportunity, all super important. But nobody was touching this other F word of femininity. It was almost like it was, it scared people or turned people off or it felt like a step back. And that is so fascinating to me on a number of levels. But in my own life, I started wondering if I was bringing this work persona into my dating relationships and that's why i had not met prince charming um because if i was bringing the tough direct assertive amy even you know i mean i'm kind of giving you an exaggerated version of it that might have been at the expense of showing my more feminine qualities which in many ways are more me i'm so sensitive i'm a crier i am emotional these are all things that I've always been. And from a young age, my mom would tell me I was too sensitive. And I got that kind of feedback, even in this New York corporate life, you can't be sensitive, can't take things personally. Certainly it was obvious that people didn't really welcome crying in the office. So I was conditioning myself based on what I perceived was necessary. So perceived the fact that I would need to toughen up and develop these more masculine qualities to quote unquote thrive in a man's world. And you know what? I don't know that those qualities, like the assertiveness and directness, I would, I'm so grateful for those. So thank God I developed those, but, but had I re- had more perspective then maybe I wouldn't have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And and so this femininity question led me to talking to a bunch of friends and colleagues, men and women about this con- concept. What is femininity? What does it mean to you? What are your sort of visceral responses to that word and why? And what I realized is that everyone, men and women, have these parts of ourselves. We all have these parts of ourselves that we're holding back, consciously or unconsciously. And we it's because we feel they're not welcome. And we feel either ashamed of them or like someone's not going to be comfortable with them or whatever it is. And so ultimately decided to write this book to help unlock some of that and to help people show up in a more authentic way. Because if we're holding parts of ourselves back, we can't ever show up fully. And we can't ever be our happiest, healthiest selves if we don't show up in an authentic way. So there are a few key points. But I mean, first and foremost, we're all a balance of masculine and feminine. And that's a great thing. So again, as I said, I never want to throw out my masculine qualities, because those are part of what served me in my work for sure. I absolutely am a better leader and boss and manage clients better and the rest of it because I'm direct, because I just tell it how it is. You know, It's one of my sort of core values really. Um, also, everybody would just define femininity in a unique way. And I'm curious to hear your take on it, but you know, the fact that I use words like sensitivity and emotionality and crying openly, that's not for everyone. But someone else might say, yeah, you know what? I'm super controlling. And every and people do not go around and say to men, you're being so controlling. Only women hear that. That is, And you know what? It was ne- it's never in a positive way. <laughs> so what if we turn that on its head? And that's really what the book does. It takes 21 different qualities that have historically been considered feminine and they've been considered weak. And then we turn those on their head to show that they're actually our superpowers. So it's in the sensitivity one's an easy one, because again, I mean, it's very, very, for me, low hanging fruit. Now I see that my sensitivity is what allows me to be a great leader and boss and client manager. It's what means I can walk into the office and I sense that one of my employees is not quite right and I can do something about it. Or I can sit in a client meeting And I can read between the lines. I can sense that what they're saying is not the full picture. And then I can call for a follow-up and say, what's really going on here? I can sense how to approach a situation. And now I lean into that. So like the book actually gives us tools for cultivating these different feminine qualities um, and, and actually owning them versus shying away from them because we feel like sensitivity isn't welcome or crying, I mean, we can talk about crying, but I'd love to hear your initial thoughts on that topic because I love that everybody has their own take on it. That's
0: what's so great about it. I love that. And you know, I feel like emotional intelligence is something that is a given now. You have to have it if you have a business, you have to have it if you have a team. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple wrote a whole article on that. And mm-hmm. I do believe things are shifting to where people do see the power of the feminine qualities that you need to integrate to have a more well-rounded understanding of what is really going on. Yes. I love that that's the purpose behind your book. Well, what I'm curious for you, are there certain
1: qualities, like things that maybe you've lived with or experienced that that, you know, again, mine, the easy one is the sensitivity one, or I can talk about crying for a moment. So- No one in the history of time woke up in the morning and said, I hope I burst into tears in my boss's office. Am I right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, crying is really a human moment. And by the way, it's totally okay to be human. The issue with the crying isn't the crying, the issue is the way we all respond to it. So, so often, the crier runs to the bathroom in shame, right? That's the natural response when you're at the office and you burst into tears, or even sometimes with friends. I mean, we're, we're not even great at crying to each other. Um, and what happens on the other side of the table is the boss goes, uh-oh, is that a disgruntled employee? Now I have to worry about that person, right? And what if there's just a conversation that's a result of the crying, where the boss can say, I see you're getting emotional right now, is everything okay? What can I do to help? And not even worry about the crying, just worry about the human. And then what if the crier had the tools to say, I'm getting emotional right now because I thought I was going to get a raise in this performance review. What do I need to do in order to make that happen? Like if either party was able to just ask a question or dig deeper instead of have this visceral response to it, then it would bring a closeness in the relationship. It would create connection. It would create meaning in a positive way out of this moment instead of what normally happens, which is two people walk away feeling confused and or misunderstood because that's what's really happening. So it's a great example of something that at face value may appear to be a certain way, but if you dig a little bit deeper and and look at it through a different lens, suddenly it actually could be a superpower. So are there any yeah. things that, that rise for you? I mean, there's, we have, tw- again, 21 different qualities that we talk about, but there's so many more than those.
0: Yes. I mean, immediately what I thought of, it's not one single word, but it's the idea of a man might be the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. When I see women, I see power. That's mm. always how I viewed women. The one holding it all together that secret sauce that makes everything taste better. She walks into the room and people are disarmed. What, I mean, what is that? What, what could we call that? You know, it's like, we talk about, we have a chapter about, it's almost like owning the supporting
1: role, you know? And, and that, that in and of itself is so powerful, you know? And it's not about being number two, as in number one is more important, but sometimes it's the behind the scenes person that really is the one making everything happen. It is that person that's actually, making it all possible so you know I think that's a good example and it's I love it because it's pretty nuanced actually and it's something that I think a lot of women actually do feel shame about because they feel like oh like if I'm not gonna go out and be the boss then I'm not doing enough or why don't I want to be the boss or why why don't I want to be out in front you know I mean especially these days like where everyone feels like they need to be everything um, you know, I really, for me, the word that keeps coming up with all things feminine has always been the word grace. And that's just, that's like when I think, how do I get into my, the right headspace or feeling around femininity? It's like, how do I really lean into my grace? And my grace is in challenging moments and it's in my dance class and it's in, my most beautiful giving moments but it's it's a through line and it's every it it has a again it's a lens um but it's pouring rain um but the great can you hear it can you see it i don't know it's crazy yeah it's i love like that all happened me too um i just think it's so interesting how like again when when you're like this I can speak for myself as someone who's been super ambitious and always felt like I needed to have my boss's job. And I don't even know where that comes from, to be honest with you. And yet on the other side of it, like I would love nothing more than to meet my guy and for him to take care of me. I have no problem saying that. And for me to be able to support him and make him shine, you know, I think I'll always shine. I'm not worried about that. It's just like, I would love To play that supporting role in that context and it's so it's so interesting because i think sometimes it's hard to say that
0: yeah because one might feel they're giving up on themselves man amy i wish i had met you 10 years ago because what you were saying before about your rise in new york city i really resonated with that because that was my story too when i first moved there and if I had a woman that I could look to and be like, okay, here's an example, I think I would have navigated it a little bit more easily because when, during that time, I felt like I had to put on a bitch persona to be taken seriously mm-hmm. and I didn't want to appear weak. So it was almost like I had to trick people into this character and then once they respected me, then I could be myself. Did you experience exactly that? You yeah. I mean, again,
1: my version is toughness. Like I couldn't show the real soft, mushy Amy because she just wasn't going to ever rise the ranks <laughs>
0: in corporate yeah.
1: New York, you know? But actually she did because she was still there. She was just hiding behind the scenes trying to figure out what to do, Yeah, you know? But I, I think of all these ways, you know, we always, everyone talks about imposter syndrome. I think it's like at the heart of it, honestly, because we are showing up in a way that we believe we have to. But what if the full us showed up? What if the full part of us, like what if I could show up and say, I which I do, by the way, this is my real, this is my MO in every respect. I, am, I have no problem when something ridiculous happens at work, which is every day saying, I honestly have no idea how to handle this. I mean, I feel 14 years after running this business, I'm still making it up. And you know what? Do I have more tools? Yes. Do I have a lot of wisdom and experience? And have I failed enough times to know that everything's going to be okay? Yes. But fundamentally, I am always making things up. And I'm always baffled by that because you just think you've seen it all. But I mean, I, I can laugh about it. That does help, by the way. But I do think that there's a phenomenon of us all feeling like we need to show up like we have it all together. And I don't want my employees to think that, you know, I really don't. We did a cacao ceremony. So I try to do these activities with my team and I did a zoo, especially challenging during COVID, of course, because we all talk all the time, but you still feel pretty disconnected because it's not the same as being in the office with people, which is what we're used to. So we did this cacao ceremony cuz I'm obsessed with this legacy cacao. If you're a cacao person at all, please order it right away. It is the most delicious thing. It really is a game changer. And I had this lovely woman guiding through this this experience and it was, there was a meditation and one of my employees had just lost her father and and I knew how much pain she was in and so the cacao really brings a lot of stuff to the surface, even if you don't believe that it will, it does. There's just no way around it, especially because this is straight from Guatemala, from these magical Guatemalan mamas who are blessing it. And it's, it's very powerful. It is plant medicine. So I knew we were all going around and talking about our experience. And I knew, I almost, I knew why she couldn't speak. So I spoke for her. And of course, in classic me style, it just totally burst into tears. Like, it, you know, in a way that was just, I, there was no way around it. And, you know, unapologetically, because I want to create space for everyone to be able to do that. I want everyone to feel like we are all human. We are all complete picture. Sure, I'm the big boss and I can handle a lot, but I also feel stabbed in the heart at moments. And this is one of them, you know, and that is, that's just life. And I think the more people can see the full you and the full picture, the more that
0: creates space for them to show up that way too. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big crier too. I I watch, yeah, I watch animal videos all the time and I'm just bawling.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. I, now that you've told me that, we have a problem because I have like three people that I send all the animal videos
0: to. Oh, really? Yeah, I can That's add That's gonna to be my... four. <laughs> just a group chain.
1: <laughs> it's amazing, it really is. My sister is one of them, my hairdresser, and my friend Courtney. And I literally like, I go on Instagram, if I see it, I just press forward, forward, forward. <laughs> So now you two
0: could be on the list. I love it. Oh my God. You've seen that (laughs) Japanese movie, right? About the dog who follows his owner to the train station. No. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So there's an American version that Richard Gere plays the man, but basically it's a relationship about the dog and the owner. They love each other. It's like father and son and the father passes away. And the last time he sees them was at the train station because they walked there together every morning. And so he just waits and waits and waits and he never returns because he passed. And in Japan, there is a statue of the dog because it's this story that's in their culture <laughs> about loyalty. This is not a good idea for you to tell <laughs> me the story right now oh my god i I watched it on the plane, and I was losing my shit. On I can't the scene. even I can't even listen to you telling this story without crying.
1: Mm-hmm. That's not a good sign. Yeah, I can't watch that. I know my limits, truly. I mean, just to bring some light to it, since now I'm stuck with that whole situation, that image of the dog at the train station. Uh. <laughs> yes, okay. So my neighbor, Sheila, who lives two doors down, who is one of my dearest friends, whenever, so I have a dog, Bernard, who is my heart. And he is, in his younger, he's 15 and a half. But in his younger days, he, there was, there were animals that he, I I don't even like to use the word kill because I don't think that was his intention. There would be dead animals in the yard and they were a result of Bernard. How about that? (laughs) So Bird, Once a squirrel broke its back, I don't know how Bernard got the squirrel because squirrels are so fast, but more times than not, it's like a mouse or a possum or these kinds of things. And most of the possums were just playing dead anyway. So they eventually disappeared and it was a non-issue. But the ones that are actually dead, I really struggle with. Like I can't even look at it. I can't be in like a 10 foot radius of it. So Sheila comes over with her shovel and her, like not even Sheila's husband, Sheila handles this whole thing with the shovel in the bag to dispose of the dead animals. And I'm so thankful that she does it. I mean, this is another reason I need a guy right away because, and he needs to understand that's gonna be his job because I'm definitely never gonna be able to handle that. But the other day in front of a group, she was articulating why this is. Why is it that I need her to handle the dead animals? She knew it wasn't just because I'm grossed out by it. It's because I literally feel so much pain for that animal, even if it was a quick and painless death and who knows, you know, this is animal life, right? But I can't handle it. I like, I literally feel like I'm the animal. I don't know what that's about, to be honest with you. There must be some deeper, either past life I was (laughs) a mouse or a possum, Um, but I do feel so connected to them. And sometimes, especially one of the blessings of COVID has been sitting alone in my yard and just watching the birds and enjoying these quiet moments with nature where you really get to lean into it and experience it and appreciate it. It's like, it's just the gift of all gifts. I thought a hummingbird was going to land on me two days ago because I was wearing these red workout pants and it fluttered so close to me that I literally felt like I was in some sort of disney movie it was so bizarre and i it was attracted to my red pants for sure and then i was like i don't know if i want this hummingbird to land on me i mean that is a i don't even know what to say about that but but it was so cool and then i saw like in the background the squirrel with an apple like in slow motion eating it the apple was twice the size of its head and then a hawk flew over this is in venice beach it's so crazy but i love it i, I live for it those animal moments honestly
0: Oh, you're animal whisperer. I really live for that. Yeah. You got to go to Yosemite right now because the animals are going off. Are they? Of yeah. They're reproducing like never before because they have the space and the clean air because not a lot of cars have been able to go through in the past year. I read that a whole species of bears have reproduced. That's
1: amazing. That really is amazing. That's so cool. I'm definitely going to add that to the list because it's not going to last. Yeah, so we should enjoy it while we can. It's interesting. I'm doing, so back to Clubhouse, not that I ever want to belabor that, but I mentioned that nonprofit showcase concept. Did I mention that just now? Okay, so the one I'm doing tonight, one of the nonprofits we're featuring is this woman. It's the nonprofit's called Sea Legacy, but it's an incredible wildlife photographer named Christina Mittermeyer. Are you familiar with her? Midi on Instagram. You should definitely follow her. Tons of sea life, but other as well. And I am so, she's legendary. And the work she's doing on the conservation front is so incredible. And I am so excited that she's participating. Like this is, again, a great example of someone I would be enthralled to meet in real life. And now I get to host a conversation with her Mm. in this virtual space. But it's really cool to see what's happening. And I do hope with our new president that some of the terrible things that have happened on the conservation front are reversed and we get back on track in terms of trying
0: to save the earth me too yeah i was just listening to, you'll like this story i was just listening to uh, modern no what is it's called this is love have you heard of this podcast no tell me more so this is love is a podcast by the same people of criminal okay. and they tell stories about love but not just romantic love just love with animals with other people that aren't their partners with nature So this one story, this Olympic swimmer who is now maybe in her 60s, she tells a story of when she was a teenager off the Long Beach coast, practicing laps in the ocean. She saw a baby whale that was lost near the shore. And so for the whole day, I think it was 10 or 12 hours, she was swimming back and forth along the shore. So the baby would know that she was there with her or him. And finally they see the mom out in the distance. I guess they were looking for each other and she swims out further enough. So the baby follows her. The mom sees the baby and they're reunited. Oh, wow. And she was describing it as, you know, this is my last stroke I can do. I'm so tired. I need to go back to shore. She was starting to feel really cold. And at that last moment, they were reunited. That's incredible. And thank you. That story didn't make me cry. So I (laughs) appreciate
1: that. That's a happy story. Yeah. Thank you for not giving me another (laughs) tearjerker. One per
0: podcast episode is more than enough. Yeah, I have so many.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. I know. Well, I latch on to that stuff, too. That's really incredible about that whale. I know. Isn't it amazing? I mean, humans do so much bad stuff with animals, but then there are those incredible stories. Of course, I watch them all, too, on, like, Mm -hmm. the dodo, et cetera. Oh, yeah. um, I live for those stories, you know, especially when it is the dodo and you know it's going to be a happy ending. That is when I'm uh, me up. What I can't handle is the ones that are like this dog was left in front of a store and it's caught on video and there's no there there. You're like, what? Yeah. On a brighter note. Yeah. The whale and mama were reunited. I can sleep well at night knowing that.
0: Yes. (laughs) What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen with animals or in nature? That's a great question.
1: Well, I th- the first thing that pops to mind is just is probably I was also more impressionable at that moment but when I was 14 my we had these Labrador dogs labs at a when I was a kid a black lab named Duncan and a yellow lab named Daisy and they had puppies and we're not we were never a breeder and i don't know why they weren't fixed other than the, that now i know so much about adoption and i'm like a huge dog adoption person but but you know you don't know what you don't know so i have these dogs daisy becomes pregnant and i and she had puppies and i got to watch her having puppies which was so incredible and i mean the the instincts of a mom dog and how she cares for these little i don't even little potatoes i mean they're barely even a potato they're like they're i don't know how she does it and she doesn't smash them i know it does happen sometimes where moms suffocate their dogs their puppies accidentally from sleeping on top of them because they're so out of it too like all mothers but um it was so it just blew my mind the whole thing and i so she had first the first six and all of them were black, even though she was a yellow lab, all the puppies were black. And you don't know how many puppies there are. So we didn't know if she was done. And my dad, we went to bed. It was the middle of the night. My dad went to bed. I went to bed. And then I woke up, like sat up straight in my bed. And I went into my dad's room and I'm like, I think something's wrong. And so we go downstairs and the seventh puppy was stuck. And, And needed help and needed, and Daisy hadn't cut her umbilical cord for some reason. So my dad had to do it. And this little runt of the litter, Minnie, survived. Um, She was the only girl of all seven of them, the final, the finale, but it was so epic. It was like, and it was also a great moment at a young age of understanding our intuitive gifts, you know.
0: Hey, Whoa. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. I have to say I was crushed saying goodbye to those puppies. I mean, if I could just live in a world of all puppies and dogs, <laughs> that would be perfect world for me.
0: hundred <laughs> percent. This image never goes away, but it was when I was living in New Zealand at the time. And there's this area called Mount Manganui, which is along a bay. It's it's shaped like this, like a half dome. And I saw 500 at least dolphins swimming up and in the water and circling the bay. It was so amazing. That is
1: incredible. That's incredible. It looked fake. I know it's so crazy to see stuff like that because especially big city life we just we see photos of it and photos can never do justice of things like that you know I went to Africa for the first time last well I guess it wasn't last year because last year was a non-year at the end of 2019 so December 2019 and everybody talks about Africa and how epic it is and I, it is, it's all of that, but it's all that times 100. Like it's so far beyond what anyone could ever describe to you. Have you been? No. Oh my God. So I went to Kenya and I, we had a lot of challenges with this particular trip because it was the most torrential downpours they'd ever, they'd seen in like, I think it was like 50 years or something. So all the roads were destroyed and they're already challenging. So it was it was a and it was raining a lot while we were there. All my clothes were wet. Everything was just soggy. I was soggy from the second I arrived. And tr- soggy Amy is not a happy Amy. So I was in survival mode. That's how I saw it. And you know, still enjoying a lot of the aspects of it. But this there was this <laughs> helicopter pilot who came to dinner one night, and he said, and so we had this option to go on this helicopter ride. And someone said, honestly, this will change your life to go on this. And I thought. Okay, that would be cool. Maybe I need a change of perspective, to say the least. And so I decided to go. And we went through five different microclimates. We, we, we saw the most incredible stuff I've ever seen in this eight-hour helicopter day. I mean, it was beyond anything I'd ever even imagined. And at one point, we were flying amidst and right above thousands of flamingos. Oh my God. Wow. It was unbelievable. So I have photos, of course, which don't do it justice at all, but they said literally the only people that have come here are not geophotographers. No one's ever been here. It's like, it's not a place you, it would, it's almost impossible to get there. And so I felt like, it's sort of like you're describing with the dolphins, like, is this real? Like, how can this even be possible? You know, you're just like, And you just want to capture that moment and never, ever, ever forget it because it's so mind boggling. But this is what's going on everywhere. And it's actually such a great reminder. Like when we're stuck in all of our shit, which we always are, it's just to remember that somewhere 500 dolphins are swimming and somewhere else thousands of flamingos are flying through the air. And somewhere else, a mama dog is having six puppies, seven puppies, and there's going to be that much extra cuteness in the world. Uh (laughs) You know, it's just like a good reminder of the life cycle and, and, you know, again, I'm not to bring it all back to conservation, but it's such a good reminder of why we all need to be doing
0: that work. Yeah. Wow. Wait. So did you see them against the ground? Was that the backdrop or was it blue sky? both oh i mean there were some here by the helicopter and then there were some
1: beneath us oh. against the water and then there were some i mean it, they were everywhere oh, What? they're everywhere yeah Incredible. it's unbelievable no i i'll never see anything like that again i'm sure yeah i can picture it like it was yesterday
0: what an amazing job a nat geo photographer i know <laughs> i know seriously yeah
1: now we're talking i know i mean is it, is it too late for us <laughs> that's what i was just about to say <laughs> how do we pivot <laughs> that would be hilarious that would be such a great twist of the plot like a year from now we're a ph- photography team traveling the world shooting nature photography <laughs> a woman duo exactly and puppies and puppies Like it starts, all starts right here with the (laughs) puppy.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, what is the trajectory of that? How does one start? It's such a great
1: question. Actually, my dance teacher has started getting really into photography and he's been taking some online stuff and then he's just been out there experimenting and he's really been like just in, in it, you know? And I realized like, it's right there for us. It's right there for us. Okay. (laughs) I mean, to then become a Nat Geo photographer, there are a few steps in between. I see, I recognize that, but I think the first step is understanding the technical aspects of photography. And I feel I have a good eye, and obviously you have a good eye. So um, I feel like we're on the right track. Okay.
0: And then we just pitch to Nat Geo.
1: Well, we start, we have to get some photos under our belt. Right. And then, yes, then I think we need a concept of what, what we want our first... Photo essay to be, um, and then yeah, let's pitch it. We know people that are going to help us move this forward.
0: Do you have any photos of the flamingos?
1: I do. I oh. do. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely send video. Video will be even
0: better. Actually, okay.
1: the they're live photos. Some of them, so if you hold your thumb on it, you'll get oh. to see them flying. It's so oh, crazy.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely send them to you.
0: Okay, please. Yes. Have you been involved with plant medicine? It sounds like you have.
1: Cacao. I mean, it's like the most innocent version of it. I, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people that talk about it all the time, but I haven't personally dabbled.
0: How about you? Yeah, I used to be very involved.
1: I and that's why I
0: used to? Oh, you know, it, it gave me what I needed. It transformed my life and gave me all the tools of healing that I needed to evolve and come to a place of neutrality and elevation, but I realized I can find that within now. Mm. I'm in a good place. Mm. So I stopped. And also I got really burnt out. I used to make the medicine and bring it back to California and lead ceremonies. Mm. And it's really heavy and intense for a young person to do. And at that time I was still in my twenties and it just got to be too much. Yeah. A lot of responsibility and I'm not a shaman, right?
1: How did so. you end up, I'm so curious, how did you end up doing all of that? Like what, what initiated your path to doing all of that?
0: The long short story is, I come from a background of, of a lot of pain and trauma. And yeah. when I was 21, I had my first hit of happiness. I, I've never felt happiness in my life before that. Wow. And that was caused through a ceremony, a plant medicine ceremony. And so that piqued my curiosity of, okay, what is this? It worked, it did something to me, let me go deeper. And that led me to meeting who gave me the blessing to share this with people. Wow. And, you know, for a young person to receive that kind of uh, tap on the shoulder an initiation from an elder who is maybe... I don't know. In his seventies at that time, and had been doing this his whole life. Mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, this is what I need to do to pay it forward. Yeah. So I did that for a few years. Wow. Um, So my initiation, it wasn't didactic in how it usually is. It was more intuitive. That's so interesting. I mean, there. That's a
1: whole. There's so much to discuss there because it is such a deep conversation, and so many people are are benefiting from the power of plant medicine. And as there's an, this legalization happening, it's, uh, it's interesting because like with everything, there's a lot of fear around it and uncertainty. And then there are those like extremists and advocates. And then every, it's so interesting yesterday, I was on the phone with someone and he mentioned a, a micro dosing coach. And I mean, I have a bias around this because I just think everybody is a coach or thinks they're a coach these days for better or worse. And some people are legitimately coaches, so I don't want to dismiss that. But I was like, you're telling me now they're microdosing coaches, really? Like, and you know, I don't know if that's even the terminology that they use, but I thought it was kind of funny on some level. I'm like, of course there
0: are, because this is now a whole new, brave new world. Yeah, and they're charging five thousand dollars for their course. <laughs> of course they are, of course they are. <laughs> At least. <laughs> yeah yeah but I, I definitely abandoned my post and I said okay there are other people who are better at this and more equipped than me yeah. let them yeah. take the reins but I'm a huge proponent it works yeah one
1: well, that's so cool that you got something out of it meaningful very meaningful out of it
0: mm-hmm cacao it, though I've never tried
1: oh I'm going to send you the link because this is just a game changer and I drink it every single morning. It's literally the first thing I consume. Well, that's not true. I I take that back. It's the first nutrition of any sort that I consume because I do have green tea when I first wake up, but, and of course water with lemon, of course, but then the first piece of food of any sort or drink is the cacao and I blend it with a little spoonful of ghee and it is a game changer. And you're supposed to set an intention before you drink it. And it's a great moment of pause for me, which we all need, but particularly these days, like morning's so frenetic. And I know that sets the tone for the day. So the cacao helps just ground. And I do, I can feel the effects of it. I can go from feeling like, ah, to my cacao getting me into a little bit less of an ass ah state. Oh, so it's meant to ground. Well, it's whatever. Maybe that's the intention I'm setting with it, you know, but it, it can do any number of things. i oftentimes my intentions around heart opening because it absolutely can do that. Oh. Which in, then in turn is grounding by the way.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. I'll try it. You got a lot of things to
1: send me. I know. I know the flamingos and the, <laughs> now you're on the mailing list for all the dog videos and <laughs> the, clearly the cacao. We'll make it happen, yes. Okay, okay. It's so fun to meet you. This was such So a great treat. to meet you
0: too, yeah.
1: I made a new friend, thank you. Yeah, seriously. Well, thanks for reaching out. I'm so happy you did. And this is a treat and just the beginning because since we're gonna be not geo photographers now, together. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be a good, we'll write a book about it as well because obviously that'll be a good story. Where can people find you? My Instagram and Twitter and Clubhouse are all Amy K. Stanton, and my work website is stanton-company.com. All right, perfect. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.